Monroe is a very serious man with a very serious cause. He generally speaks in a commanding monotone, even when he's joking, and he is relentlessly on message. Now, though, he begins to laugh, and so do I, because I've always wanted to know what professional football is really like in the middle of the maelstrom, and now I do. It's like drugs, man. On this episode of Gangrita Podcast, I talk with Tom Juneau about his ESPN The Magazine story, Eugene Monroe has a football problem. He had become really the first active player to challenge the NFL about its marijuana rules back in, you know, this past March, March of 2016. Juneau is now a senior writer for ESPN The Magazine and ESPN.com. He joined ESPN after spending nearly 20 years at Esquire magazine. He left after former editor-in-chief David Granger was forced out earlier this year. Juneau is one of the most decorated magazine writers of his generation. He has been a finalist for the National Magazine Award 11 times and has won twice. His story, The Death of Patient Zero, won the June L. Beadler Prize for Cancer Writing earlier this year. He's been anthologized in the Best American Magazine Writing, Best American Sports Writing, Best American Political Writing, Best American Crime Writing, and even Best American Food Writing. For Esquire's 75th anniversary, editors at the magazine selected his 9-11 story, The Falling Man, as one of the top seven stories in the magazine's history. In this episode, I talk with Juno about his story, Eugene Monroe Has a Football Problem which is about the retired NFL lineman who spoke out earlier this year about the NFL needing to change its policy toward marijuana. We also talk about what he's hoping to do at ESPN, as well as some of his other work. As usual, we've linked to Juno's work at our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast, Tom. Well, um, thanks for having me. Uh, I was hoping we could talk about your story, Eugene Monroe Has a Football Problem, uh, which appeared in uh, ESPN the magazine. Uh, but to get things started, could you read that opening scene from that story? Sure can. Um, and the story comes with a little disclaimer um, or a little warning. This story contains mature content. Right. So um, I'm going to you know, give your listeners that warning right now. Sounds good. So what's it like, I asked Eugene Monroe. What's it like? He's working out in his basement. The music is loud. From some kind of high-tech rack, he's picking up dumbbells that appear immobile in their sheer mass that yields to his grip like Excalibur. Yeah, what's it like? It's not much of a question straight, but then I'm not straight. Neither is Monroe. He comes over and wipes his face with a towel. It's one of those experiences you have to go through to understand, he says. I could use as many words as I could to find to describe it, but the feeling it produces, I don't think we have a word for it. I sit there, nodding, listening to the music. It takes me a while to ask, so what does it sound like? He's doing curls and finishes a set before answering. He's an enormous human being, deliberate and unhurried in his movements and in his speech. You know that crisp sound where you're watching an Olympic diver hit the water? where it's like a blade slicing through the water. Well, you have that smooth, clean sound, and at the same time, it's like someone has a sawed-off shotgun. Pow! It's amazing. I nod again, wondering whether he has the best insights into football I've heard or just the best weed I've smoked. Do you see things out there that, like, you can't explain? Things that, like, defy gravity? 
Because he's sitting down, I can see crinkles start spreading across his shaved and sopping scalp. I've played with some very good players, he says. And the way we block some guys, you shouldn't be able to do that to people. I mean, it's not right. It doesn't exist anywhere else but on the field. I mean, really disrespecting and hurting people. And then a pause. It was awesome. Monroe is a very serious man with a very serious cause. He generally speaks in a commanding monotone, even when he's joking, and he is relentlessly on message. Now, though, he begins to laugh, and so do I, because I've always wanted to know what professional football is really like in the middle of the maelstrom, and now I do. It's like drugs, man. Well, thanks for reading that. I appreciate that a great deal. Can you, I mean, what, uh, why, this was one of your first stories at ESPN. I think it was maybe your second one. Um, it's actually my first, it was, it was my first real reported feature. My first piece that appeared was about me trying to start the wave at okay. two different stadiums. Right. So it was, it was, it was not a, I mean, this is my first profile. For okay. It, yeah. So, so why Eugene Monroe? Why, what, what drew you to him as, uh, as, as a story subject and what, what, you know, what, what was it about him that you wanted to, to really get to know? Well, um, I mean, for, I mean, it's really a couple of reasons, but I mean, you know, I had seen, I had seen, um, number one, that he had become really the first active player to challenge the NFL about its marijuana rules back in, you know, this past March, March of 2016, you know, long before I, I, you know, made the move from Esquire to ESPN, but I was, I was interested right away in that because it, because you know you, you know how many players smoke pot you know mm-hmm. you know you know in the NFL and you know for him to become the first and the only player for a time to to challenge the NFL on that really to me showed a lot not just about him but about the NFL itself and and how the players regard it and how they're you know afraid of it afraid of sort of you know you know being who they are so there was that um, but then, um, you know, that there was a time when it just didn't seem like anybody was covering that issue because I thought that there was just a bigger, a bigger issue there. The bigger issue being, you know, what happens to football when players start taking responsibility for their own health decisions? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, the marijuana issue is just part of that much, much larger issue when it comes to the NFL. So, you know, really right from the start, I, I felt like I could write something that might be, you know, somewhat entertaining and approachable about a guy who, you know, basically quits football to smoke weed um, and then to really move on to, you know, larger issues, which is, you know, it's, that, that is precisely what I've liked doing as a journalist, really from the very start, you know, writing about one person or one sort of incident as a way to get at something, you know, much larger. And, you know, and, and Eugene just turned out to be the perfect guy because he really didn't quit just to smoke weed. He was, you know, incredibly eloquent, incredibly articulate um, about his, you know, reasons for making the choices that he did. Right, right. Can you, uh, you that that opening scene that you read, I, I found it's really compelling and re- it really pulls you into the story. Um, can, can you talk about that and why you chose to lead that way uh, with you smoking marijuana with, with this football player? 
Well, I mean, I've, I've always been an advocate of, of, you know, not being particularly coy when you're <laughs> writing stories. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, talked to journalists, I've talked to, um, you know, people who have, you know, written stories and have said, well, you know, when I was doing the reporting, you know, such and such happened and I felt such and such a way. And it was really amazing. And I was like, well, did you put that in the story? And, and, you know, you hear with more frequency than you think, uh, well, no, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I was like, why didn't you? Because uh, I, you know, I just didn't think it was possible or I just didn't think that it, you know, was the right thing to do or I didn't think that my editors would allow it. And, you know, and there's just a lot of stuff in journalism that gets put on the, on the cutting room floor. I mean, this story was about a guy who gave up everything. I mean, he gave up, um, you know, his career, but he, you know, he was, his career entailed him, you know, being paid like $8 million a year to mm -hmm. play offensive tackle. And he had offers from two teams is my understanding in, you know, to play again, even after the Ravens cut him, And he gave that up in order to smoke pot um, and to heal himself through smoking pot. I don't want, I don't want to make it sound like he was just looking to get high because I don't think that's the case, but he was looking to heal himself, you know, by, by, you know, being able to, you know, treat himself with cannabis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we, I went out to his house and, you know, he offered me that experience, you know, that ritual that he's made the center of his life. He's, you know, he allowed me to enter. And so I did. And so I wrote about it. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, it's at the, it's a, you know, it's the center of his life. So I, I can't see why it shouldn't be at the center of my story. Right, right. Did you have to, did you have to talk with your editor to see if that was, if, that was something ESPN would be cool with in the magazine. Yeah, it was really it was it was a pretty interesting experience. I didn't, I you know, this was my first story for ESPN, and you know, and I was, I was not cautious exactly, but I was definitely not really certain either. I went up writing four drafts of this story, mm -hmm. and you know, and they were all separate drafts. They were not, you know, kind of, you know, um, they were not just the drafts, the original draft with revisions. They were, they were recasting for the story. And, um, the funny thing is that, you know, I wrote, I think that the, you know, the first, the first draft I wrote, I knew I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. I knew it was just not, um, the right way to go. It was a little bit stiff. It was a little bit formal. I just didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what my ESPN voice, you know, mm -hmm. should be, you know, should it be different than the Esquire voice? Should it be, um, you know, more sporty, you know, should, and what would, what would that even mean? So it, it you know, the, my first draft was not good. The second draft was the one where I figured, you know, if I'm going to write this story, I should really at least sound in parts of it like I'm stoned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wrote that and, you know, that was, that was the draft that my editor liked and liked the energy in it, except that he thought that it was a mess, you know, structurally a mess. Right. And so I went and did a third draft of it that was really quite, you know, I mean, it was um, more well-crafted structurally, but it was, you know, it was a buttoned up kind of 
piece that did not start with me getting stoned with Eugene. It mentioned it mentioned it in the middle, but it didn't make it the centerpiece of the story. And that was the piece that went up to, you know, some of the higher ups at ESPN. And the response was unanimous, which was like, you know, what happened to Tom getting stoned? And so <laughs> it was restored on the fourth draft by you know, some of the, not just my editor, but people, um, you know, like the, uh, the editor of the magazine and, and the, you know, the editor of, of really the whole kind of enterprise group. So, you know, they were, they were all for it. I would imagine that would be very, um, liberating almost to get that kind of reaction from the higher ups when maybe you're really, a little bit it, nervous. It, it, def- it definitely was. Um, if there was any, if there was any message that was given to me during the, you know, reporting and writing of this story. And it, and it, the message, it was the message that I finally, you know, understood after four drafts being, you know, struggled over and, and finally done with. Um, the message was that, you know, what kind of voice should I write mm-hmm. in at ESPN? Well, the, the kind of voice that I'd been writing in. Right. And the kind of voice that they valued um, when they hired me, you know, the, the, the same kind of voice that, that I had when I was at Esquire. I mean, you know, the, they very much want me to be myself there. And, um, you know, they, they proved it in this, in this piece. Right, well, you mentioned voice, and I was going to ask you about this a little bit later after we had talked about the story. But uh, I, I've always found you to have one of the most unique voices of, of just about any magazine writer and that in the way that you're able to capture the personality of the person you're writing about uh, in your own writing. Um, yeah. And I think about the Mr. Rogers story uh, and even the little Bow Wow uh, profile that I've read. And I think I tweeted at you one time, the first time I read it, uh, completely baffled as to how you pulled that off. Um, do you go in thinking, I mean, what, what's your mindset as, you, as you're reporting and, and do you think about how am I going to nail the voice of this particular piece um, because I find them that they change a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is the you know the challenge of of all not all journalism, but definitely all you know long form journalism. I mean, it, you you are writing those stories um, as a you know as a testament to the voices of the people that you're writing about, but you're also, you know, you're challenging those voices um, over time and over the length of the story. And you're challenging those voices with your own voice. So the stories that interest me are often, you know, wrestling matches Mm -hmm. between writer and subject. And, you know, I'm not the first person to say that or the first person to notice that, but I, you know, I, I definitely look at, and I'm interested in stories that provide, you know, that opportunity because I, I bring a strong voice to the stories that I'm writing mm-hmm. and, you know, in a, you know, in a strong point of view, but I, I try to respect the voices and the point of views of the people that, uh, uh, that I'm, that I'm writing about. And, and I think that that's, you know, it's, it's the struggle, but it's also the fun of writing stories. Is, is that something that comes in through revision? 
or is it often something that you just are able to to get at on the first draft? It seems like it came on revision with with the Eugene Monroe story. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a funny it's a funny thing with with me and and you know and, and stories. I mean, the last I'm trying to think of the last several stories that I've written um, for both ESPN and Esquire, and you know, they've all had their moments of significant revision. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you know, it's the thing with revision. It's, it's, it's amazing how many times you write first drafts that are not true, at least for me. And this, I say you, and I don't know if it, you know, if this is a, a, a generalized thing, but I'm amazing how many times I write first drafts that are not true to the original impetus behind the story mm-hmm. and are not even really true to all the interesting that interesting things that happened during the reporting of the story. Um, and that the second draft is a way to sort of, you know, get those things back. And, and for an example, the last story I wrote for Esquire was a story about a, a, um, a young woman who goes missing um, and who went missing and has never been found here in my hometown of mm-hmm. Marietta, Georgia. And, you know, I wrote the story for David Granger and, you know, completed the first draft. He read it and he told me, he's like, you know, you know, this is a pretty good story about a really fucked up, you know, young woman. But, you know, it's really not much more than that. Mm-hmm. And you know, he goes, he goes, when you were, you know, reporting the story and you were writing the story, you were obsessed with it. And not only were you obsessed with it, you told me that everyone who comes into contact with the story, all the people who are investigating the disappearance, well, they're obsessed with it also. So why were you obsessed with it? Why are they obsessed with it? Because that doesn't come, that doesn't come through in this, in this piece. And I was like, um, they're obsessed with it. And I was obsessed with it because of the mystery, because, you know, her disappearance just doesn't make any sense in any way at all. And, and yet she's gone. And, you know, people walk through the world sort of, you know, through the empty space that she's Mm -hmm. left. And he was like, well, why don't you write that? And so I did, <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, that's what, and that's what a lot of stories turn out to be. I mean, they, there's just, there's often that moment when, you know, you realize that you've relinquished the thing that has driven you there mm-hmm. and wh- why you, why I do that, why writers do that. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, so you know, part of the process, at least for me, is being true to that experience, true to that obsession, true to that you know kind of force that is making you sit at the desk every day, and um, and so that you know it's kind of a to go back that goes back to the question that you asked originally, which is you know why did I write about smoke and pot with mm-hmm. Eugene? You know because because you know that was the that was the moment. And, you know, why I, why I would even think of not putting that in there 
is is the larger question. Right, right. Uh, back, yeah, with the Eugene Monroe story, one of the things that I found really interesting about it is the way that you're able to flip the addiction. Um, because so often, you know, the addiction is perceived as drugs. And, and in this, and, and in the right. piece you write, the addiction is actually football. Was that right, something you right. realized early was, on? And that was, yeah, and that was, that was <laughs> you know, and that was the other thing about, you know, getting high with Eugene is that that perception came to me while it was after we had gotten high Mm -hmm. and he was on the phone with his personal trainer and he was going on about, you know, the the personal trainer was, you know, Eugene was telling his story um, over the phone while he was working out to the personal trainer about why he had quit football and the personal trainer was kind of egging, you know, him on and sort of, you know, giving him inspirational messages about all the things that he had that his that he had done and that his stance meant to other ball players. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, this is this is like a um an intervention session, but it's not about drugs. Mm-hmm. Drugs are like the, you know, the the life of of, you know, actually using cannabis is the thing that he's trying to get to and the thing that he's trying to get away from is football. And that's when it hit me. So it was, uh, it was one of those, you know, high insights that <laughs> stuck. And, and I think that turned out to be, you know, when I actually did the reporting for the piece, you know, I, you know, I talked to a lot of guys and about Eugene and they, you know, I think all agreed with that take. Mm-hmm. So how do you take notes while you're doing that? While you, while you're kind of smoking pot with a professional, former professional football player. Um, well, in in that in that story, um, I took notes on you know, you know, on some notebooks that turned out to be of limited value because my you know my handwriting you right. know <laughs> my handwriting never good to begin with as a was you know went into um, a kind of Sanskrit you know after I got high. So the notes were of limited value, but I did, I, I taped it. Okay. I was just curious about that. Um, was there uh And I'm, I'm really, I was, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't use tape in, in every circumstance, mm-hmm. but in this particular circumstance, I'm really glad that I did. Yeah. What, was there something that, that made you think I should use it at this point for this story or? I just couldn't keep up with Eugene. He was such mm-hmm. a great talker. And that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the one, you know, it's the, one of the great joys of, of doing this job is that you either come across great talkers or you ask the, the questions that make people great talkers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Eugene is just, he was just a great talker. And I was like, you know, I just said to myself, if I don't, if I'm not capturing this, if I'm not getting this, I'm, I'm going to miss out because he's, you know, I mean, his, you know, I asked him the, in the beginning of the story is, you know, are his insights on football the best I've ever heard, or is this just the best weed I've ever smoked? <laughs> and, you know, the weed had something to do with it, but I got to say that, you know, Eugene's um, portrayal of, of football and what happens on the field is the best I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, how do you, and this is maybe a question that I think maybe a lot of my listeners are, are you know, college students who are studying journalism, and one of the biggest things that they run into is how do you get um, access to uh, people, the type of access that, that obviously you got with, with Eugene. 
how do you how what what's your when you when you're when you're setting out to start reporting a story a profile like this what what's your first um what's your first step i'm a big uh, emailer mm-hmm. i email my subject or my intended subject and write um rather long rather impassioned emails uh, about why i want to talk to them that lay out um the areas of my interest and, you know, what has compelled me to seek them out. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. And I, I've been doing it for for years. And I'm doing it, you know, I've done it for the, um, I find myself doing it for the book, you know, I'm writing, mm-hmm. I'm doing a, a book, a memoir that uh, requires reporting. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I am, and I, and I did the exact same thing for GQ. I'm doing the exact same things for, um, did the exact same things for Esquire, and I, I find myself doing it for ESPN as well. And I think Ray Thompson told me he does that as well. Um, when I talked with him uh, for this podcast a couple years ago, he, that he writes big, long e- letters or emails uh, laying it out. And so that, that, that works, yeah. obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think, that they, I think that they work because, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing that keeps journalists in business is that people... A, like to tell their stories, and B, um, feel in many cases that they have not been given the opportunity to do so. So if you can touch that part of mm-hmm. them, hey, I'm really interested in your story, and here's why. Would you like to talk about this? Right. Um, I, think it, I think it motivates people. I think it moves people. And I think for, for especially people who write longer stories like you and, and, and a lot of magazine writers, it gives them an idea of what exactly they're they're getting into as well, right? I mean, because it's not like if a newspaper reporter stops by and spends two hours with you and then t- and takes off. Right, right. No, I, I think that that I think that that means a lot. But I think that there's there's another there's another thing with the Eugene Monroe story that I need to say because it goes once again goes back to your original question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that story began with me thinking that it was an undercovered and underserved story. Mm-hmm. Um, that did not turn out to be the case. Eugene, um, he was, in fact, um, profiled the same time um, I profiled him. I, I think the magazine was maybe called Fusion or something. Mm-hmm. I, I forget. But anyway, some you know there was a, another profile being done. Eugene has you know, written for Players' Tribune. He has you know, given many interviews, his, um, he's been on, he was on Vice TV. So it was a, it's a, it became in that, you know, in the time that I was con between the time I was contemplating it and the time that I did it, it became an extremely well covered story. And Eugene became, you know, very well versed in, you know, talking to journalists, right. but, um, there's something that happened in, you know, in the beginning of the story that I think, you know, was a, was a, a choice that I made, and that was the choice when he when he wanted to get high to get high right. with him. I do I do not think that the relationship that Eugene and I wound up having would have happened if I had said no. Right. I literally don't think so. I mean, I think that he would have said okay, and you know, he I would have watched him um, work out. I would not have asked the just the the quintessential mm-hmm. high question, which is, hey, uh, what's it like? 
Right. You know, that's not that's not a question that you that you ask if you're not high because it sounds so stupid. So you know, but that was the, that was a question that that opened a door in Eugene. So you know, I mean, and you know, the story ended with me talking to Eugene at great length about his you know the addictions that he had to deal with when he was growing up, mm-hmm. meaning not his own addiction, but his mother's addiction. And then, you know, her eventual um, suffering from a heroin overdose, you know, while we were closing this story. Right. I, I do not think that Eugene would have gone as far with me if I didn't go as far with him. Right, definitely. So uh, this uh, this is your first reported piece for ESPN, uh, the magazine and ESPN.com. What mm-hmm. what type of what what well first of all can you talk a little bit about uh, the change that you've made and why you made it and then what what you're hoping to do at ESPN? Well, um, you know I I um, worked with David Granger for um, twenty four years um, or twenty three years mm-hmm. exactly. Um, from the time I started working at uh, GQ to the time that, you know, David got fired at Esquire. And, you know, we had an extremely close editorial relationship. David was, you know, my editor during all that time. I was the only writer that David edited throughout his entire tenure as editor-in-chief of Esquire. And so when, you know, when he got fired, I mean, I mean, not only did I see the magazine, you know, changing in ways Mm -hmm. that I didn't, you know, I wasn't comfortable with, but I just wasn't comfortable with the way, you know, David had been treated after all the work that he had done there. So I immediately started looking for another place to go to. I mean, I had no idea whether, whether, you know, Jay Fielden, when he came in, was going to keep me or not. I mean, that, but that wasn't really the thing that had, that drove me. I, I just, I just wanted to start over. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause I just, I just couldn't see working for anybody else there. So uh, when David was giving the staff the news that what had happened to him, I was, you know, I was already uh, in contact with ESPN. I contacted them immediately mm-hmm. and David announced his firing on a Friday. I believe it was the following Tuesday. I went up to New York and, you know, met with John Skipper at mm-hmm. ESPN. Why so is... it, was, it was, it was fast. Yeah. Why, why, why did you single, why did you go, why, why ESPN? Why was that interesting to you? Well, because I, I knew so many people there who I thought were doing great work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I just, I, you know, I read, I read, you know, J.R. Moringer's piece that he did on um, Alex Rodriguez, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, a piece that, you know, totally respected the the thrusts and the eccentricities of, of you know, J.R.'s way of telling the story. I read the 25,000 word piece that Wright Thompson wrote about New Orleans right. in the wake of, you know, Katrina, which was not only 25,000 words, but it was just, a, you know, a bravura piece of storytelling. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I read Eli Saslow's work. I read, you know, Seth Wickersham's work. And I was just, I was just, you know, I wanted to be part of that because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I could see myself, you know, on that, on that particular team. It just was impressive to me that ESPN was, was giving those writers that kind of support. Right. So what are you hoping to do, uh, at ESPN now, what what type of stories are you looking for? Um, are you working on one right now? What, what's 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 your goal? Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just um, I'm just writing uh, a second draft of an essay on uh, participation trophies. <laughs> um, I was uh, amazed um, post election that uh, participation trophies like had become like. A thing that they were, um, you know, being used to um, attack the people who were protesting the results of the election. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is because, you know, this is a generation of kids, you know, who were used to participation trophies. They don't know that everybody doesn't get a trophy. They need to grow up. And so, you know, the uh, evolution of participation trophy from a you know, piece of meaningless piece of hardware mm-hmm. to a uh, meaningful political symbol was, um, you know, very interesting to me. So, you know, I pitched it to my editor, uh, Eric Neal, and he said, go do it. So I just went and did it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's, you know, what my ESPN experience has been so far. I'm just like, I want to do it, you know, and they're like, do it. So um, I'm in my second draft of that. And and I think that that just it just points to, you know, some of the larger things that I want to get at with with ESPN. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, well, you know, you were at, you were at Esquire for so many years, you got to write about anything you wanted to write about. Now you're going to write about sports. What's that like? You know, and are you okay with that? And you know, the fact is, is that. Um, you know, I mean, the, the wonderful thing about writing uh, about sports is that, you know, sports generates stories. It just does. Because mm-hmm. it is a story, you know. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a narrative version of our world. That's why people like it. Um, so, you know, it, it generates all these stories. But these stories, as we enter complicated times or live in complicated times, um, you know, they, they reflect those times. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, that's what I want to do. I, I just don't think that you can take, you know, anything at face value right now. And I think that sports stories, you know, have the ability to, you know, really bite off large pieces of the culture. And that's what I'm looking to get at. You mentioned a little bit earlier that you're also working on a memoir. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm writing about my dad finally. Um, I've written about my dad, you know, many times, um, or I wrote about my dad many times, um, both at GQ and at Esquire. At um, GQ, I did the story called My Father's Fashion Tips, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, sort of about a celebration of the the style uh, that my father embodied. Then uh, at uh, Esquire, I wrote about his um, time um, as a singer during World War mm-hmm. II. And then, you know, I also wrote, you know, just a bunch of short pieces about my father's disastrous finances, about the strange language that he used, 
I, I wrote a, a bunch of things. So I'm finally um, going to tell the story, use the book to tell the story that I was not able to tell in magazines. Mm. And you said there's you're doing reporting on this as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there are many, many. You know, my dad was a, a you know incredibly charismatic guy, and it was always clear to me growing up that the lives that my mother and I spent with him and my brothers and sisters were not were not the only we're not his only life. Mm-hmm. So there were many secrets, and I am uncovering them, and it's been it's been um, an experience of going really from one revelation to the next. It's mm-hmm. been remarkable. Mm-hmm. Do you you have a publisher? Do you know when this will be available? Well, see, the thing is, the thing is, I've had a publisher. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've I signed a contract to write a book for Knopf of undefined and undetermined <laughs> subject matter when I started at Esquire. Okay. So that's, so that's like a long time ago. Right. <laughs> and they've been waiting for a book from me for a really long time. And in fact, they've been waiting for so long that they, you know, Knopf kind of gave up on me and handed me over to um, Doubleday thinking that maybe the editor at Doubleday, Bill Thomas, <laughs> would be have more luck getting a book out of me than the than the Knopf people did. Um, so when I went to Bill Thomas and said, you know, I'd like to write this book about my dad with this subject matter, I mean I couldn't I couldn't tell whether they thought it was a really great idea or if they were just really relieved right. <laughs> that, that after nearly twenty years I was I was finally starting work on a book. But I do think that they they they, they liked the idea. Um, and I do think that they were relieved and you know, um, it's it's double day as it stands right now. Well good luck on that and uh, look forward to seeing more of your work in ESP in the magazine and, and online and uh just uh, everywhere. So, Tom, thanks for joining the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, and it was uh, it was fun to talk about all this stuff. I've been talking with Tom Juneau. Juneau is now a senior writer for ESPN the magazine and ESPN.com. We've linked to many of his stories at our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Stay up to date by following the podcast on Twitter. That's at gangrypodcast. That's at G-A-N-G-R-E-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can also like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just go to sites and search Gangrey Podcast. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y Podcast. Gangrey the Podcast is produced in Donnarumma Studios at Fairfield University. It is made possible by the Fairfield University's College of Arts and Sciences and Department of English. Technical help is offered by Steve Cease. This episode was recorded and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us. 